Amen. Good morning, everybody. So glad to be with you this morning. Can you open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 20, verses 27 through 40. Luke chapter 20, verses 27 through 40. That's where we're going to be today. And so if you don't have a Bible, um, grab one, please. There's some in the, on the stools back there um, at, behind you. And um, there are some in the seat pockets of the chairs in front of you. Um, we want you to be looking along at God's word with us as we make our way verse by verse through it. So please grab a Bible and please um, open it and walk with us through the scriptures. Luke chapter 20, verses, um, verses 27 through 40. Okay, that's where we're going to be this morning. And, uh, and God is going to um, speak to us. And my hope is that he changes you through this, um, especially as we look at it um, and that uh, we would understand it as well. So Luke chapter 20, verses 27 through, through 40. Let's read it. Ready? There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children... The man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children. And the second and the third took her. And likewise, all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection of the dead, neither uh, neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he called the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not... God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any question. This is an incredible passage, and there's so much here, and there's so much to learn here. And there's a lot here that um, should change us, should change our lives and transform our understanding and our hearts that we would submit fully to God. So let me tell you what we're seeing in this passage. Let me tell you the main point of this section right up front. What is being said here? What's the main point of this particular literary unit Well, the main point is pretty clear and pretty easy to see. And what we're seeing here is another failed attempt to trap Jesus. That's the main point here. That's what Luke is showing us. We're seeing another failed attempt to trap Jesus. We're seeing those who are opposing Jesus, those who oppose Christ, those who are denying that he is the Christ, those who want control of their own lives and therefore are seeking to eliminate Jesus. 
They're seeking to eliminate Jesus, to be in control of their own lives. And they're seeking to embarrass him. They're seeking to discredit him. They're seeking to discount him. And what we're seeing is that Jesus is in control here. He's in control. He, he's, his plans won't be thwarted. He's the all-wise God. He can't be undermined or tricked or trapped or stopped. He's in full control, and he's the all-wise God who must be submitted to and followed. And this is extremely relevant to your life. There's plenty of people who even come in the church um, with a thought that they're the wise ones. They can assess the word of God. Uh, they don't need to look at the scriptures themselves and understand what God says. Uh, they don't need to submit to him, his truth, his word, his control. And my word to you is this. Um, he won't be thwarted. Like, he's in control completely. And so even for this life, if you um, so deceive yourself as to say that I'll undermine the Lord Jesus Christ, I'll criticize his word, I'll prove it to be distrue, uh, untrue, the, the encouragement to you is that um, you might do that for this life, but he's going to win out in the end. He's in control, and his word will prevail. He won't be thwarted. Um, his truth remains. And so um, you're, you're just deceiving yourself. And that's what Jesus is showing here. And so my encouragement and, and my desire for you is that you would, you would humble yourself and submit to the Lord and find life. So let me explain to you how we, we're getting to this point here. Um, I think it's really important that you kind of see this. And can I tell you, it's pretty easy to see if you've been just with us along the journey in Luke. Okay, so you can find the main point of the literary unit. Each section has a main point. There are other various truths you can find in passages in the scriptures, but each unit has one point. Each literary unit has a main point, right? Just one. And if you're preaching sequentially or you're here and you're following sequ sequentially through this book, you can find, I mean, you come to a place where it's just pretty easy to see the main point right away of what's, being, of what's happening, right? It's very difficult and, and oftentimes you get that wrong if you're, if you're just taking verses and sections and using them to apply to certain things. You're not really driving towards the main point of the section and you miss it completely. And so this is pretty easy to see that what's happening here. Why? Because like I said last week, we've been riding a wave really since chapter 20, verse 1. And this section really lets us down on that wave. It, it, really, it, it really puts us back on our feet and we're going to start moving forward. And why do I say that? Well, it really has, this is, brings closure to a theme. This section brings closure to a particular theme. What is that theme? Well, the theme is all of the religious leaders of Israel trying to trip, trap, arrest, kill Jesus. And all of them failing to do so. At this point forward, Jesus is going to be asking the questions. Jesus is going to be proactively indicting the leaders. He's going to be doing so to an extent that is going to get him killed. And that's his plan. Right? That's his plan. So at this section, we really finish, at the end of this section, we really finish a major theme in a sense. And we know this because at this point, all of the Jewish groups, all of the, the leadership groups of Israel will have tried and failed to ensnare Christ. We've seen this. 
And what Jesus is showing here, what Luke is showing us here, what, what God is showing us here, what the Holy Spirit is showing us here is that Jesus is in complete control of his fate. He's in complete control of his fate. The only time that they will succeed in trapping and arresting Jesus is when he allows them to do so. He is silencing his opposition. And this is the final silence in terms of the whole scope of Jewish leadership. Just turn back one chapter to chapter 20, verse 1. In this particular section, they challenge the authority of Christ. And what they're trying to get him to do is blaspheme. If he says, my authority is from God, therefore making himself equal to God, they're going to just accuse him of blasphemy. And Jesus doesn't answer their question because they've already made up their mind as to not to believe him, no matter what he says. They want control. They're just trying to trap him. But it's implied here, the truth is he is God. He does come from God. They just don't want to hear it. And so they won't believe it. And what's clearly implied here is that Jesus is just undermining their attempt to trap him. Who's involved there? Well, look at verse 1. It's the chief priests and the scribes and the what? Elders. As you move on to the next section, in verses 9 through 18, the Pharisees try, the Herodians try, the Sanhedrin try, the scribes try, and the chief priests scribes. That's all using the parallel accounts to that section in Matthew's account, Mark's account, and Luke's account. And here in verses 27 through 40, which is our section, whose turn is it? The Sadducees. After this point, every major group will have tried and failed to trap Jesus. That's what we're seeing here. He's not going to be undermined. He's not going to be thwarted. No matter how strong in an earthly sense a group appears to be, he's in control. He's the wise one. He's going to win, and his truth will prevail. Not only, and here's how deep this is. Not only has every major group tried their hand at trapping Jesus, but they've tried it in every major way. They've tried to trap him lawfully using God's law. They've tried to trap him politically by getting him to incriminate himself before who? Rome. Right? They're trying to get him to oppose Rome. They've tried to get him to um, indict himself in terms of not meeting messianic expectations, trying to disprove that he could be the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. Um, he can't be. Remember, if he's going to pay taxes to Rome, he's building up Rome. Therefore, he can't be the Messiah because the Messiah is going to come and destroy the enemies of, of the Jews, which is Rome. And so they've tried to trap him in every way. They've tried to trap him lawfully, God's law, politically against the Romans and in terms of messianic expectations. And now here in our section today, particularly, they're trying to discredit him personally personally, meaning this. They're going to give him a question that he can't answer, which would embarrass and discredit him before the people. Before the people. They want the Jewish people to stop following him at this point. They're going to give him a theological question. There's no way he could answer this, right? And it has to do with the doctrine of the resurrection. The doctrine of the resurrection. So you're also going to learn about the doctrine of the resurrection. The, 
That is the biblical teaching of the resurrection. We're going to learn a few subpoints today that you could add to your arsenal about having a biblical, in regards to having a biblical doctrine about the resurrection. What I mean by that is, is um, you can add some, some subpoints, some truths in your understanding of what the Bible teaches about the resurrection. Okay? Um, that's not the main point of the section. The main point of the section doesn't deal with the teaching on the resurrection. The main point is the failed attempt to trap Jesus. But along the way, we see these truths explained to us. So what you can do is you can add this up. Now, this is important here that they're going to try to discredit Jesus theologically in front of the people so that they would stop following him. And at the same time, they're also trying to position themselves in the greatest position of power. As we read, the Sadducees don't believe in the what? The resurrection. And so with this particular question, what they're trying to show is there is no way there can be a resurrection from the dead. And so if that's true, then the Sadducees are the, the greatest among all the religious leaders because their theology is the one that is correct, right? And this isn't a genuine, you should have biblical right theology, but this isn't a, a, a genuine um, attempt. They're already having preconceived, presupposed, um, ill-willed, selfish, um, ambitious uh, claims on the truth of the scriptures. They're already coming to the scriptures with a desire to, to, to serve themselves. So theology is important. It's not that it's not important. It's that they've determined this theology of no resurrection um, with a misunderstanding of the scriptures. And now they're wanting to maintain that and, and be right here. And so this is just twisted. That's the easy way to say it. It's just twisted. Um, if they can trap Jesus, they're going to discredit him personally in front of the people. And their doctrine of the resurrection will set them apart from the Pharisees, the scribes, the, uh, all the rest, and they'll be the most prominent group in Israel. So Jesus is going to obliterate all of it, pretty simply, pretty simply. And, um, and so let me tell you this, what this points us to is what Jesus said a couple sections back is going to prove to be true. He's the cornerstone. The control and the inheritance of Israel will go to him and his apostles. He's not going to be undermined. His truth stands. The Sadducees won't have the power. Everything will be according to his way. And he will inherit those who truly believe in him. They're not going to undermine him. And so... We are on Wednesday of Passion Week, and Jesus isn't getting um, cold feet. He's turning up the heat, right? And this is, this is what's happening here. So how can we see it? How do we want to divide this up to make it clear? Well, pretty simply this. We're going to see, number one, the setup. Verses 27 through 33. Secondly, we'll see the statement that Jesus gives in verses 34 through 38. And then number three, we'll see the silence of the response in verses 39 through 40. The setup, verses 27 through 33. The statement from Jesus in verses 34 through 38. And the silence in verses 39 through 40. Let's start with the setup verses 27 through 33. There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection, and they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up, an off, uh, raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife 
and died without children. And the second and the third took her. And likewise, all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as a wife. Now, we know that this is ingenuine because it's been ingenuine this whole time, right? From all the religious leaders, there's flattery here. And there's, uh, they're ingenuine in desiring to know this answer. We can see it verse 40. Just jump down to the very end. For they no longer, what? Dared to ask him any questions. Um, if, you're, if you're genuinely looking for the answers to theological questions, when he, he's, first of all, he's not, gonna, he's not seeking to disprove them unless he knows the intent of their heart. Secondly, um, they're not going to dare to do this because their intention was to, was to undermine Jesus. It wasn't just to, to understand. And so we see in Matthew's account, let me tell you this, the parallels to this passage are in Matthew 22 and Mark 12. You can use those to help kind of supplement and put this whole thing together to get a more full picture we're going to use, it some, use those other accounts some today. But in Matthew's account, he gives us this information. He says that this is the same day. He starts this section saying that it was the same day. That's pretty helpful because we know we've already established that we're sitting here on Wednesday, that Jesus is going to die on Friday. And so we know that this is still what? Wednesday. Now think about this. Think about just for a second the wisdom of Christ. This is all in a day's work. This is a walk in the park. Not only has he silenced all groups, but he's done it on the same day. This is just easy. His superiority here is being made very clear. He's in control. He's able to silence all parties on the same day. This is nothing. He's the God of the universe. His wisdom is unsearchable. All on the same day. And we're here on Wednesday. And it says in verse 27, if you look at it, they came to him. And so this is an attack. This is an attempt. Who came to him? Some of the Sadducees, the Sadducees, just briefly, were a small elite group. We've learned about the other groups. This is a small elite group. They're wealthy. They're powerful. And um, they're conservative in the sense that um, they're not going to allow anything beyond, uh, beyond their um, control. And so they're the aristocrats. They're the ones who are the wealthy ones in town. And um, they revered only the Torah, which is the Pentateuch, which is the first, how many? Five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all written by who? Moses. They revered that portion of Scripture as greater than any other portion of Old Testament Scripture. So that's what they would refer to. That's part of their understanding of the resurrection. They don't believe that the Torah has ever proven or shown any evidence that there's a resurrection from the dead. And, and so that's what they look to. And this is just a side note for you. Um, that's not true. There's no portion of Scripture that is any more inspired than any other portion of Scripture. Even the red letters of Jesus. Let me tell you that, that... Um, those red letters are no more important than the black letters, right? Um, those, you can't um, read your Bible like that. Um, they're no more important. They're just differentiating to show clarity that Jesus is speaking. Um, these are all Jesus's words, right? The whole Bible is the word of God. If you differentiate in terms of importance, um, you're going to get yourself into a whole lot of error. Because then where would you even draw the line? You become the truth or the standard of the truth. And um, that makes you placing yourself in the position of God, right? 
So there's no more portion that's more important, but they believed that. They were the influential ones. They were made up of the chief priests and the high priests and the Sanhedrin. And they cooperated with Rome, the Sadducees did. They would flatter Rome to encourage their own prosperity and their own wealth, their own monetary gain and control. This is nothing new. This is what they were doing um, here. They claimed to use the Torah, and they used the Torah, um, or, or they claimed to use the Torah rightly in terms of, um, of using it to support their, their power and their prominence. And, and they, uh, they would oppress the people through this. It was a manipulation that was taking place here. And... Um, and so this is who they are. The, the Sadducees are actually, historically, they lost control of Israel in 70 AD to the Pharisees. So the Pharisees will win out, um, but they're all going to go away, right? And Jesus will be the, the cornerstone, the plumb line, so to speak. So most notably, though, about the Sadducees is that they deny the what? The resurrection, and this is not the resurrection of Christ. That hasn't happened yet. They deny the resurrection from the dead. They believe once you die, it's it. It's over. There's no afterlife, right? But not only did they deny the resurrection, but they also denied the existence of angels and they denied um, any kind of spirit. And we see that in Acts 23. It says this, pretty plainly, for the Sadducees say that there is no what? Resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit. But the Pharisees acknowledge them all. All right, so we know their, their um, denials here, right? And, um, and so you see how this is working? If they can disprove the resurrection, not only will they remove Jesus out of the position of power, but they'll succeed in being more powerful than the, than the who? Pharisees. And this is all twisted. And so um, what we're seeing here, as Jesus is going to make clear, is that he's in control. Uh, his theology is right. And... Um, He's going to indict their character. They're going to seek to embarrass him, and he's just going to embarrass them. I mean, right here, he's going to embarrass them greatly, greatly. So let me tell you this. The Sadducees are exposing their own ignorance because the whole entire Old Testament points to a resurrection from the dead. The Jews should know this. They should be established in this. In Job chapter 19, verses 25 through 27, it says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see who? God. Whom I shall see for myself. My eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me even at the thought of this. When your skin is destroyed, who are you going to face? God. Pretty simple. Psalm 16 speaks of this. David speaks of it. Psalm 49, Psalm 139, Psalm 73, Isaiah 26, and maybe most clearly, Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Everyone who dies will face either eternal life or eternal death, right? Where the Bible describes there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in the New Testament. Jesus describes it that way. And so they've discounted all of this because they believe that it's inferior to the, the Pentateuch or the Torah, that Moses never said anything of this sort. And so they're trying to, in their pride, discredit the resurrection, discredit Jesus, position themselves into power, and get Jesus to be overthrown in terms of his popularity with the people. That's their plan here. That's their plan. 
So they ask Jesus a question, verse 28. They say this, teacher, which by the way was their favorite designation for Jesus, which is just flattery, right? Oh, wise one, basically. Uh, They're saying this, you should know this answer. You're the teacher, right? You're You're the teacher. You should know this. I mean, this is just to position him to be undermined. Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow, raise up offspring for his brother. Here's the question. Now, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, died without children, and the second and the third took her. And likewise, all seven left no children and died. And afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, whose wife will the woman be? For she had... Uh, for the seven had her as his as wife. Notice here, who does, uh, what portion, what part of scripture do they use? They're using the Torah. Moses wrote this, right? So it's just fitting right along with their presuppositions. And Jesus is going to address that specific thing in just a few minutes. But they're saying the Torah is to be more revered. The resurrection can't possibly exist. You don't know the answer to this question. We're right. Right? All at the same time kind of intermixed in, in, this, in this question. Moses wrote, of course, of, of course, quoting the Torah. And what they're referring to is, um, is the, uh, the, the Levite. They're referencing the, the, Levi, the Levite marriage rules right, that we see in the Old Testament. It's clear from Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 6. It talks about what would happen to a man who dies childless. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 6. This is what they're referring to. This is what they're quoting, in a sense. If brothers dwell together and one of them, what, dies, has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside of the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as a wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother that his name might not be blotted out from from what? Israel. Now you've seen this before in the Old Testament. Where else is there this uh, playing out of a kinsman redeemer? The book of what? Ruth, right? That's what's happening there. And so what we see here is that they have studied the the Torah. You don't come to this conclusion as to the fact that it disproves the resurrection unless you've thought deeply about it. Now, you can't give them any credit because all Jesus does is rebuke them. And all Jesus does is is expose the evil of their hearts. So don't give them any credit. I'm not saying this. But even even they are thinking deeply about the law of God, which should really indict us in a sense. You You don't come up with this unless you think long and hard about it. You're thinking about the law of Moses and how, wait a second, that how would that fare with someone being raised from the dead? That seems to not be answerable, and that would disprove it. So their hearts are wrong, but we should step our game up in terms of thinking deeply about the Word of God. And so this is what they're doing. They're saying, this doesn't mesh. This is what Moses said. We believe this has the greatest authority of really all portions of Scripture there can't be a resurrection with this, right? And, um, and so here's what happens at this point. They're just exposing themselves. Their foolishness, their ignorance, and Jesus is going to embarrass them. He's going to embarrass them. So... What happens when they ask this question is, let me point to this, is 
they have some presuppositions here. Their trickery, their foolishness in these questions, right? Teacher, Moses wrote, a brother dies, having a wife, no children. The brother must take her, raise up a son. Okay, if that's true, well, let me play this scenario out. A wife, she dies without children. The brothers, the brothers, the brothers, the brothers, they can just, you know, it doesn't really matter that there's seven. It's maybe an idea of completeness here. But if there's a resurrection from the dead, whose brother, whose um, wife will she be? And they're not really asking a question about the resurrection here. They're not, impl- they're not outright denying the resurrection. They're just seemingly asking a question about a wife and a husband. Um, but Jesus knows what they're real, what they're real, um, what they're really trying to do here. And so, let me just point this out to you because it's important. They have some presuppositions here that already discredit them. Um, they have a presupposition that the afterlife works the same as this life. I mean, that's already a presupposition. That everything that is right now will be the same and established in the next life. That's a presupposition that they have. They're just, they're blind. They're ignorant. The blind a blind spot is a blind spot because you can't what? You can't see. They're just blind. I mean, they're just already assuming that. Um, they're ex- assuming that marriage in the next life will exist and that it will be monogamous, right? And so this is important because here's what I would say. is all those who try to, in their own pride, oppose Jesus or oppose the word of God. Um, And if you're one of those people, my encouragement to you is to to humbly acknowledge that you're probably presupposing some things that are just not even true before you even get to the word of God. I mean, your folly and your error probably run deeper than you think. And um, the, the trick is to acknowledge that and then to humble yourself under the truth of God. They're already presupposing some things. And that's why Jesus answers the way he does. So let me show you the way he answers in the statement in verses 34 through 38. Verses 34 through, through 38. Jesus said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who consider are considered worthy to attain that age and to the resurrection of the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are the sons of God, being being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is not the God over the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. When I tell you that this answer is beyond wise, Um, it's not an exaggeration. There is so much happening in Jesus's response here that um, it it should floor you. This is incredible what's taking place at this point, okay? What's taking place at this point. So let me explain to you. Um, First of all, know this. Jesus is rebuking them here, okay? That's the tone. It's a rebuke. I'll show you that in a second. Secondly, understand this, that though they're asking a question about a wife and whose husband, Jesus doesn't even answer their question. He just first um, goes to their heart and what they're really trying to do. So Jesus is just showing up front. (laughs) I know what you're doing. You're not gonna trick me. And um, let me embarrass you now. How do we know this? Well, let's turn to Matthew's account just for a second. Matthew chapter 22. Go to Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 22 of this same um, account. Matthew chapter 22, verse 29. Matthew 22, verse 29. They asked him this, and uh, let's look at verse 29 for a second. 
Whose wife will she be, they ask. And Jesus answered them, what? You're wrong. Wait a second, that doesn't make any sense. Whose wife will she be, Jesus? You're wrong. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense unless Jesus is addressing what they're really trying to accomplish, right? You're wrong because you presuppose some things, even in your question, and you're wrong in what you're trying to do in terms of disproving the resurrection in order to disprove me. You already have some presuppositions and your, um, and your beliefs are wrong. So it's, you're not asking a question about whose wife. Um, you're gonna, your, your presuppositions are wrong and, um, and you're gonna fail at your attempt here. Let's turn to Mark's account, Mark 12. Mark 12. Jesus says here in Mark 12, verse 24, Mark 12, Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are, what, wrong? Um, whose wife is she going to be? Let me tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> what? Right? They're already presupposing in their question that's wrong. And again, what they think that they are right in, in terms of the resurrection, is wrong. So Jesus tells them, go back to Luke's account. Luke, uh, Jesus tells them um, in the other accounts that we just saw um, three things, really. Uh, they're wrong, they don't know the scriptures, and they don't know the power of God. They're wrong, they don't know the scriptures, and they don't know the power of God. We, you can flip back to Matthew and Mark and find those. He just says it plainly. All right, so they're wrong, and Jesus is going to embarrass them. How does he do it? Well, in this rebuke, Jesus is going to address a few things about the resurrection. He's going to say this, you, you are wrong in terms of what you understand about the resurrection, and you're wrong um, thinking that you're going to um, disprove me in this. And... Um, and so Jesus is, is going is to show them here. How does he do it? Well, let me start with a simple answer. Here's some things that you can know about the resurrection. The simple answer is this. There's no marriage in heaven. That's the simple answer here. Jesus said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. Okay, the sons of this age. What does that mean? Sons of this, what? Life, the people of this world. You marry and you're given in marriage. Jump down to verse 35, the second half of it. Well, let's just read verse 35. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection of the dead, neither what? Marry or are given in marriage. And the idea of given in marriage there is the... Um, is alluding to the fact to the idea of family. You're given to marriage um, to create a new what? Family. And so marriage and family will not exist in, in heaven as it does right now. Right? That's, that's the simple answer. Um, you're presupposing, Sadducees, that it does. And you're wrong because that it's not even how it works. So you can put that in your doctrine of the resurrection. No one's married in heaven, nor are familial relationships the same, right? Who are you going to be um, most intimate with? Yeah. And who is going to be your family? All the redeemed. So your marriage is temporary, which goes to also point to the purpose of your marriage. And that's to glorify God. We see here in verse 36, for they cannot die anymore, which means the reason why people are not married in heaven is because they can't die anymore, which would indicate the fact that some of the reason or 
maybe the majority of the reason that people are married is because people do die. How does that make any sense? Well, God created everybody to reflect what? His image. And so you reflect his image, but as you get old, right, you're going to die and we need to, uh, he's going to perpetuate his image being reflected. So you give off a child who creates a new what? Family that has what? Children that continue to reflect his image. And then those people will die. So they have kids who will then be raised up and given to a new family to perpetuate his image. But there will be no dying anymore. We're all going to be there and be there forever. And we're going to be intimate with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no need for marriage to take place anymore. And that should, you know, make you sad in some ways because you love the people who are around you. But you also um, should love Christ more. And so that should be within your doctrine of the resurrection. No marriage, no family, in the same way that's here. The second thing, and really maybe I should have put this before, is that Jesus is basically saying here, the resurrected life will be different from this life. So here's what you can say about the resurrection. Number one, it will be different. Number two, There will be no marriage or family in the same way that we have it here. And then Jesus gives some more realities of the resurrection. He says in verse 34, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. Now watch how he throws this in here. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection of the dead Right? They neither marry nor are given in marriage. So it's going to be different, number one. Number two, there's not going to be marriage or family. Number three, you've got to qualify. You've got to qualify for the resurrection. And this is just an indictment to them. How do you qualify? It's, you qualify only through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through faith in Christ through trusting in the merit of Christ's life and death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins, which is the very thing that they're what? Rejecting. It's the very thing that the Sadducees are rejecting, that he's the savior. You've got to qualify for this thing. So whose wife will she be, Jesus? Um, You're wrong about the resurrection, right? Um, that's your real, um, that's what you're really saying here. And you're wrong because it's going to be different. There's no marriage. You got to qualify for it. Um, he's just giving truth about the resurrection. And um, he goes on to say, here's another one that you can kind of stick in your doctrine of the resurrection. And that it's going to be forever. There's going to be no death. You don't die anymore, so it's forever. But even to further emphasize this, he says they, verse 36 now, we've kind of covered everything prior to this point now. They are equal to who? Angels. Equal to angels. In the other accounts, it says you're going to be like angels. In what sense? Well, in the sense that he just said, no dying. Angels are eternal one way. They were created and they last forever. Right? And uh, so there's no, the angels don't die. Right? That's part of the doctrine of angelology, what the scripture teaches about angels. They don't die. You're going to be like that. So it's going to be different. There's no marriage and family. You've got to qualify for it. And it's going to be forever. It's going to be forever. He says this, equal to angels and are the sons of God and sons of the resurrection. That just means you've qualified for it. You're part of the resurrection. So this is crystal clear. And Jesus is just embarrassing them. 
Jesus is just embarrassing them. At this point, they've tried to trick him. Jesus responds to their real issue. They're taken back probably because they say, okay, we're exposed. And now their actual understanding of the resurrection and their theology is exposed. So not only are they going to not succeed in discrediting him before the people, but they're also not going to succeed in positioning themselves rightly. And so this is, this is pretty clear here. But there's one more piece to this which is going to strike the death blow to this group. It's going to be different. There's not going to be marriage or family. You've got to qualify it. Qualify for it. It's going to last forever. And last but not least, the Torah speaks of it. The Torah speaks of it. You guys are wrong. Right? Here's what Jesus says. But that the dead are raised. You can just see it right there. What is he trying to prove? That there is a what? Resurrection. What was their question? Whose wife will she be? Right? So Jesus is addressing the real issue here. But that the dead are raised, even who? Moses, okay. He's getting on their turf at this point to discredit, discredit them. Even Moses, your beloved Moses in the Torah, he, right? Even he says, he showed in the passage about the what? The bush, there's no verse references at this point, so they're quoting the author. They're, they're citing the author, Moses, just like Jesus would have. You know, Isaiah said this. Moses said this. Where did he say it? He said it in the passage about the what? The bush. I love that. They know what he's talking about. With the burning what? Bush. Where he calls the Lord the God of, okay, ready? Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Exodus 3, 6 is what he's referring to. It says, and he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Right? And... Um, this is just genius. Because he, what he's essentially saying here is, have you not read? Do you not understand? Have you not read the Torah? <laughs> I mean, they're embarrassed at this point. Moses said this, right? Now, at other times that we're, spo we're told that, that this was spoken through a what? You know? An angel. So we've got God speaking. We've got an angel involved in this whole thing. And we've got now Moses speaking about the resurrection. I mean, he's just, he's just going to keep throwing these blows. How does this prove this? Well, what the point is this. When God was saying this, what tense was he speaking in? Present tense. And at this point with Moses, who was already dead? Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. Is he calling himself the God of dead people? How is he still their God? Are they still worshiping him? Right? He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. They still live even though they, what, die. And this tense is important. It was even um, used when Jesus says, before Abraham was I, what? Am. There's a tense change purposefully there to show something very specific, that he, he existed, that he is existing, and that he will continue to exist, even in that name, I am, Yahweh, which is an actual name for God, right? I don't know if you know that, but... Um, the Lord is a title. God is a, is a title. Yahweh is his name. He wants to be called by his name. And so 
um, properly translated, which the new LSB translation um, translates and keeps it Yahweh. Because how personal is that? That God wants his people to call him by his, what? His name. So with all that said, Jesus here is showing that there is a resurrection from the dead. Moses spoke about it. And, um, and they're just, <laughs> they're ignorant. And um, the present tense here is the one that specifies this. And this is exactly what Jesus says about himself, John 11. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And even, um, and those who live, and everyone who lives and, and believes in me shall never what? Die. And, and the question at the end of this is, do you believe this? Right? So Jesus um, speaks of himself this way, the God of the living and those who die and believe in him will live forever with him as their God. So we see number three, then the silence, verses 39 through 40. Then some of the scribes answered, teacher, <laughs> this makes me laugh, teacher, you have spoken well. Who answers there? Not the Sadducees. It's the who? Scribes. Oh, yeah, good job, Jesus. You discounted and discredited the, the Sadducees. See, they want Jesus killed, but they don't want the Sadducees in control. So we're going to get him, but we're going to get him another way. We don't want to do it in such a way that would give them control. I mean, it's so just twisted. They just tried killing him a, a few minutes ago, and you know, and now they're... Happy, but they're just happy because the Sadducees were being um, dis, disproven, discredited. We know that, that they don't mean this. This is insincere. Uh, because they no longer, verse 40, what? Dared to ask him any questions. This is told to us after the next section in Matthew's account. Just flip over to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. We've looked at this section, but in, um, in Matthew's account, Matthew 22, verse 46, is when he, Matthew tells us here, no one was able to answer him a word. Not from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions, and that comes after that next section about, um, about being the Christ, who is the Christ. And for us, we've got that section next. And, um, but we see this, this, the same thing. At this time, no one's going to ask him any more questions and try to disprove him. He is officially at this point discredited all of Israel's leadership. Jesus is all wise. He's in control. His plans won't be thwarted. He's not going to be trapped. They're not going to trick him into death. It's going to be on his terms, in his timing. Um, he's the all wise one. His truth will stand. Those who try to thwart him, they're believing lies anyways. And so let me just encourage you as we close. Be the one who submits to the wisdom and the control of, of God. Understand that he won't be undermined. He won't be thwarted. He is in complete control and his wisdom and truth stand. He is more wise than you. You don't know the truth. He does. Take his word for what it says. It's the truth. You might think that you're undermining Christ. You might think that you're winning this game here in life by staying outside of his leadership of your life. You might think that you're winning here. 
by rejecting the truth of his word. But you're deceived. You're not winning. It's just a matter of time. His plan will prevail. And I say that to encourage you to respond. Run to Christ. Run to submitting to him. Run to the truth of his word. Let him have control of your life completely. Follow his teaching. And don't be like these religious leaders who are twisted and selfish. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we're thankful that your word is just very clear to us. We ask that you would please help us to be the type of people who submit to your word. You're in control, you're right. You're the savior. And to even count our, our misunderstandings would be, we would fall short in even counting them. We, we, we submit to your wisdom. We want to submit to you. And, uh, don't let us be as those who are so proud as to think we're undermining you by opposing you. You're in control. Let us follow you in Jesus' name.